Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. An MBA from a globally recognized and celebrated business school is achievable on your terms. Find your fit among the Kellogg School of Management's innovative portfolio of MBA programs, including one-year, two-year, part-time, joint degree, and executive options. Wherever you are in your career and your life, there's a Kellogg program designed to help you succeed. Visit kellogg.northwestern.edu MBA. The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every Wednesday in my New York City apartment, where we are proudly sponsored by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. And sitting across the table today, the table is Catherine Zaleski. And I'm always excited when a wonderful woman is sitting here, but I'm really excited because, Catherine, every time we're together, you make me think differently in a better way. You're such a great listener. I can see in your eyes that you're listening and you can see like things are going on in your brain. (laughs) And it always makes me think I want to like take those pauses and do that. And so when I say that you think differently and you do things differently, one of the things I always think of is there are so many things that happen in our lives that we say, I would like to tell someone this because I shouldn't have done that. Now that I know this, ooh, did I really do that? And we don't talk about those things because we don't want to go on record. It's like, I can't say that in public. And then I guess it was two years ago when you did the piece for Fortune that the headline was, I'm sorry to all the mothers I worked with. And that was your apology to... Yes, to working mothers. I'm I'm apology mom. Um, I mean, that's a piece I wrote. I wrote it in uh, the spring of 2015 after spending about six months building my company, Power to Fly, which I co-founded with another woman. And um, time and time again, the, the goal of Power to Fly is to place more women in technical positions and also um, women in digital positions to really change the ratios. Because you look at you know, executive leadership, for example, it's 17% of, of those leadership positions are filled with women. So we have a lot of work to do when men and women equally start out in the workplace. And so you know, we built Power to Fly as a platform where women can find companies that care about creating diverse and inclusive environments where they can be hired and thrive. And, um, and then companies can actually find the women that they claim that they can't find. So I found myself talking to a lot of younger women who were working for companies who had the intentions to hire more women, but they would say things to me like, well, our culture here really encourages going out at night and yeah, we don't have a nursing room, but we have a great ping pong table. <laughs> and I would get it's so the same. frustrated. It's the same. Or they'd say things to me, you know, these are women sort of in their 20s, and they'd say things to me like, well, we, we really need everybody in the office all the time. And, you know, we're just not built that way where people can occasionally work from home. And they had no idea how prohibitive they were being, basically to their future selves. 
And the more angry I got, the more I realized that I was those women. And so I wrote a piece about it, which I was, I was really surprised actually how viral it went. It was Fortune's most popular piece of 2015. I was on the Today Show. You were everywhere. It was like crazy. And actually Savannah Guthrie of the Today Show like asked me if I wrote the piece just to help my company. And I was like, you don't write a piece like this unless you're actually feeling like you need to get something off your chest. And, you know, no, this is, comes from my personal experience. And frankly, what annoyed me about her saying that was that I, I think it's disingenuous to claim that you completely understand what it's like to be in someone else's position until you've either been there. Yes, you can have empathy and yes, you can, you can probably better than I was in that situation, but you know, it's, it's hard. Like we have, we have to actually be more empathic. I think that's the, so. And you found that you, you had your moment of empathy yeah. after you had your child. I think some people have it before, but I think yeah. it's great that you were able to say, mm, yeah. I did this and I can't believe I did this. And I want to talk about it because others are, so give me an example. Well, of- I, I, was, like, I was always empathic before, like I never treat, but it was the fact that I realized that there were all these little things that I didn't even realize were bad that I had been doing to working mothers. That, Such as? For example, things that I didn't actually react to. Silence is often the, the thing that hurts women the most in the workplace. So when we were interviewing for a company that I was helping start up, there was a man sitting next to me who was more senior than me. And he said to the woman that we were interviewing, he said, you know, how are you going to possibly be able to commit so much time to us if you have three children at home? Well, he has two children. And she said, well, my children actually make me more ambitious and I'm actually a better scheduler. And her answer was, was great because when you do have all those commitments, you actually focus more on what you need to get done at work. And this guy like loved to get there at seven and just sit there and prove how he could sit there throughout the day. And he frankly, you know, it, it, it was not productive. And I've seen that time and time again. And so, unfortunately, that's a big thing in tech. Like sitting there is is what you're valued on. You know, when you talk about people not understanding and when when my daughter, when I adopted Allie and I was at USA Today and I was one of the few women in management that had a child, only the only other person that had an adopted child in management and she was many levels higher than me was Kathy Black. And her life was a lot, yeah. yeah, her life was a lot different than mine. So now my daughter is born and there is no maternity leave. There's no leave at anything if you adopt and no one knew what to do with me. And it was that, well, if you adopt, you don't need time off. And I'm like, but why don't I? It's not, I mean, there are so many women who give birth. It's not a physical right. thing while you're staying, while you have maternity yeah. leave, right? It's like you have it no, because- No, no, the hard part starts once you have the baby. Right, exactly. And yeah. some people need Even it for medical yeah. reasons, but it's so that you can yeah. take care of this child. How is this child taking, it's, it just boggled my mind that it was like, well, she's adopted. So therefore you no, can just that's... go to work the day after she's born. It's unbelievable. But these are the things, because we don't talk about this enough, it's an issue that doesn't get treated quickly enough. And we, we don't talk about the process of creating life and, and motherhood and how difficult it is. I mean, part of the reason I was happy to talk to you today is like I have one perfectly healthy child who, you know, I produce with no medical intervention or anything. Um, thanks to my husband, obviously, but <laughs> as well. But, you know, having a really hard time having a second kid and like, and I'm running, you know, running a company with another woman who, by the way, is pregnant with her fourth child. And like, I'm now getting into the situation where, you know, I'm realizing like, 
I was never one of those women that was on social media, like showing my bump every two seconds. And I never, I just like at the very end, I was like, I'm having a baby, but more, more <laughs> because not because I wasn't like excited, but it was more, I was terrified that I was going to get cut out of the workplace. And where were you working when your daughter was and now this news. Okay. Yeah. And, and for like a wonderful man, Ken Lair, who's been like my mentor. And was, as soon as I told him he, I was pregnant, he like reached, he like gave me a hug and he was like, I'm so excited. I love babies. Like that is the way to react. Right. right? I, like, I know a lot of people who know Ken. As a yeah. fact, matter of fact, my husband knows Ken yeah. really well. No, Everybody love loves him. Ken. Everyone He's loves Ken. Like, you know, and, yeah, and he, he taught me what the right reaction was, you know, like immediately embrace the person. And, um, you know, that, that was great. That was like a relatively easy, you know, I had the baby, I was 32 years old. Now she's three and a half. She's great. She asked me every day for like a little sister. And so, you know, I'm now on my fourth pregnancy and it's just like, but obviously I've only had one child and hopefully this fourth one goes well, but I'm not counting. I'm trying not to think about it too much, even though I'm talking about it publicly, (laughs) but you know, just the challenge of, I mean, luckily I haven't had to do IVF or anything, but I've just, I've just, you know, it's just, it's taken a lot out of me. And like, we don't, unfortunately, like there are so many women, this is what's going on in their lives and they're not allowed to talk about it. And, you know, it's just so sad to me that we can't have more of an open conversation about it. And because we talk about when people have cancer, we talk about when people, you know, but the problem with pregnancy is like, you're, you're allowed to sort of like announce this amazing thing that's happened to you at like 12 weeks or 20 weeks and it's on Instagram and you like hold up a card that says like baby due in September or something. You look at those images and you think that's what it's supposed to be. But most of those women have also had big challenges. So I'm actually making it a habit now to really talk about this more. And, and every time I mention it, that I was at a big event at Dow Jones and I told two of the women on my panel, I was feeling really sick. And I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling really sick. And they're like, well, what's wrong? You okay? I was like, yeah, I'm like very early pregnant. And, but you know, we'll see. I'm not getting my hopes up. This is the fourth time. And, you know, one of them was like, oh yeah, totally happened to me. I've been through like a couple. And then even at dry bar earlier that day, I also mentioned to my hairstylist. <laughs> getting your hair done. Who's like pregnant with her third. And she was like, yeah, no, I just, I lost a, before this pregnancy. I lost a, you know, a fetus at, at 14 weeks. But meanwhile, I had been looking at this woman and I was like super jealous that she was like so advanced and this was her third child. But as soon as I said it, she was like, she opened up and it's like, it's almost this experiment that if you go around New York at least and like say this to women, they all say, you know, not they all say, but almost like it's, it's been very interesting for me to like actually reveal this in the last couple of weeks because it's so surprising how often women will tell me that they're, they've had similar experiences and it frankly makes me feel a lot better. I don't feel as lonely about it. And I don't know. I just think it's so crazy that we've set what we've set ourselves up to be something that's not real. Right. And I think, as you said, first of all, you're not the only person and Rushma Sajani, yeah. and I'll get that out, yeah, who is awesome. right, who's the founder of Girls Who Code, said this to me a couple of years ago when we were when I was doing the book, Their Roaring Thirties, and I was interviewing her, and she said, you know, one of the things we don't talk enough about are miscarriages. We talk about, you know, pregnancy to a certain right. extent. We talk about maternity leave, paternity leave, we talk about all the we talk about those things. Not we need more of it, but we're talking, but we're not talking about when it doesn't work. Right. And what how are we dealing with that? And I look at my life and this was, you know, twenty some years ago when I was trying to get pregnant mm-hmm. and I had one miscarriage. And 
you didn't talk about it. It was, you were back to work the next day and you didn't right. say a word about it. People were like, what was wrong that you were out? And it was like, oh, I just had something that went wrong. It was, I'm an outpatient. You just didn't talk about it. But then when I did the adoption, when I was going through the process and it was so, so hard, doing right. seven years of infertility and then yeah. the adoption. And wow. someone said to me, you need to tell people that you want to adopt a child. Because that will help you, number one, find a child, but it will help you yes. deal with what you're going through. Yes. And for me, that was huge. That was a turning point in my life. And the same thing that you're talking about, people then would say to me, I went through infertility and here's what I did. And this yes. is what happened to me. And that's how I found my daughter was a woman who had adopted, had a fall through, had a, now had her child that was her child. Right. I said to her, you know, how did that, cause I had a fall through with an adoption. And I said, how did you find your child? And she said, I put an ad in the penny saver and I've told this story on the, on <laughs> wow. the show, so I won't keep repeating it, but it's because she shared a story yes. and she was a stranger. Yeah. I had never met her before. And she shared this story because I then put an ad in the penny saver and that's how wow. I found my daughter. I would have never in a million years put an ad in the penny saver had she not told me this story. Right. It's amazing. I mean, it's like you find sort of these tribes and sort of creating these like very loose tribes around here. I love that you mentioned Reshma because I'm going, uh, I went to see her a couple, you know, right after I'd had my last miscarriage, which was, um, you know, it was like relatively far along and it, I had to get a DNC, which was basically, you know, it's an operation and, well, I mean, basically, it's like the equivalent of an abort, what they like the proce mm -hmm. procedurally. And so, yeah, I was walking around the next day, but I was just not feeling great. And I think I saw her a week later. And she said to me, she said, you know, are you thinking about having a second kid? So I gave her my BS answer, which I was giving to everybody, which was like, I don't know, we'll see. I, I might start working on it. You know, you kind of you want to like protect yourself. But as soon as I started saying that, I just felt like hell. And she looked at me. And I'm sure she could totally tell what was going on. And she was like, well, you know, you really should go see my acupuncturist. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then my therapist. Right. <laughs> done with that. And so, so then I was like, yeah, no, last week I had to have a DNC. And she was like, God, I've had to have like four of them. And so immediately, you know, when the wall came down, it was like, oh, and she gave me the name of this great acupuncturist, Amy, Amy Raup, who I'm going to go see after this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I feel like I have a, I have this coach now, um, who's wonderful. And, you know, I also have a wonderful doctor, my doc, Dr. Matira, who's up on the Upper East Side, who was like the head of fertility at Columbia. I mean, she's like amazing. So I like, I, I have this, like this support group too now, but I'm like one of the very lucky ones, you know, I, I they can pay for all this right. stuff. Like that's the other thing. Let's we don't talk, talk about, about that. that. Yeah, let's talk about that. So, so, so what are your thoughts since you're in the, you're in it right now about the women who can't afford, who yeah. aren't as privileged, who aren't living in New York even, right. that well, don't have access to what we have. So the procedure that Dr. Matera did on me with the last miscarriage was, I mean, it was like a crime scene. So it was like really intense. And, but it was also, okay. So first of all, what happened was she was like, there's no chance that this is going to progress, but it's not really moving. So it's probably going to be like a couple, couple weeks. And I was like, why? I have to go to California next week. I have to. Wait, so I, she wanted you, so she wanted, she, she was like, you could pregnancy just. Pregnancy was going to terminate, but it was she whether said, it she told me it was itself, over. Right? She told me it was over. She was like, I had gone back three times. Like the first time she was like, 20% chance this will work out. And you know, friends, like 
you know, and that, you know, when you go in for the heartbeat test and you're there with your husband and it's like, oh God. And I still remember my daughter's heartbeat that was like through the roof, you know, she was just like, so you could just, you know, the good thing is that when the doctor tells you it's going to work out, like it's going to work out because when the doctor tells you it's gonna, not going to work out, it's usually not going to work out. Everybody has their own stories, but I don't know. I, I very much have a lot. I, you know, I obviously very, very trust my doctor. So she, for first she was like, well, 20% chance this is going to work out. So I was like, oh, there's a chance. So I went home, nothing really happened, came back the next week. And she was like, well, I still can't see a heartbeat, but you know, now it's developed a fetal pole, but still the sack looks really bad. So I, I 10% chance. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, so she's like, come back next week. Then the third time she was, she just said like, I think it had detached. She was like, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen hundred percent. And so, and so she, she sat down and she said, you know, you can wait for it to pass or I can give you some medication for it to pass over the weekend or I can handle it right now. And I was like, I have to go to California next week. I have to speak in front of a huge amount of people. I have to sit there with the CEO of a major corporation and interview him on stage. Like, I know I'm not going to hemorrhage on stage, but if I can afford to get this over with, then, then why not? And she said, psychologically, I think a lot, like every, it does affect you psychologically, the choices you made. But as soon as it was over, I felt a lot, I felt better. I felt like I could move on and, um, I don't know, it was, it was painful, but 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 it was expensive. Like my insurance didn't cover it, and it's like five thousand dollars. So people who don't have yeah the, well, the wherewithal, the financial means right. that you have, they would have to wait it out. They and would have then, to wait it and out and then have yeah. Yeah. a miscarriage. Right, right. Not so, knowing where they're going to be at right. what time. Yes. Um, I, I had one of those miscarriages, not yes. because I was waiting it out. I didn't even know I was pregnant. Wow. And so, um, so I was started hemorrhaging. Yeah. And it's not. Not that any of this is fun, but it was awful. I mean, it was awful. You're sitting there and you're just hem- you start hemorrhaging, and mm-hmm. you know the ambulance comes. It's like, yeah, not what you want to have happen ever. Yeah. So, no, it's terrible. And like, and then you you sort of walk around New York City for a couple of weeks. I mean, that's the thing. I was like walking around New York just in these meetings, or I would do a lot of public speaking, and I was just like, is this going to happen here? I kept asking, you know, Dr. Tier, and she was like, well, you're not. It's, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen like that, like, like the, what right. you described. So, I mean, she sort of, she made me feel better, but, but the other thing is like, I was really lucky that I was able to do it, you know, at a nice office uptown where, you know, she handled it, her nurses handle it. Like, you know, I lay there for a while afterwards. They took really, really good care of me. And like, I hear like a lot of women, they go into these clinics, they don't know who's handling it. I mean, that's what we're seeing a lot in, in other parts of the U.S. is like the people that actually know how to do these procedures, it's totally thinning out on that level. Like that's the sad thing. And, you know, I had a DNC, but the, but much, much later in pregnancy, you have a dilation and evacuation when the fetus is like fully formed. And I read an article um, that the provider, healthcare providers who can perform that, like that number is being very reduced. And also part of it is because of the restrictions they're putting on these, on these medical, um, facilities and illegally. I mean, it's just, I mean, I just wish a man could be in the room or like see what, I mean, like, like a, a male lawmaker right. could be in the room and actually see what, what women have to go through. And like the difference between having someone that, you know, that you can trust and has been your doctor for a long time versus... You know, and was it hard for you to keep the enthusiasm going with the 
you know, I, I'm going to try to get pregnant again. I'm going to try to get pregnant again. I, I look back when I was through the years of infertility and that constant checking to see if you're pregnant every single oh, month. God, and so yeah, anxiety. Right. So I was like very shocked that I got pregnant very soon afterwards. So this is like, this is really a story of hope because like I had the DNC in May and it's, I found out I was pregnant again, July, mid July. So it was two months later. So, and that's another case of like having really good medical care. Right. So I healed quick, very quickly and, and like it was thoroughly checked out and, but yeah, I hate these ovulation trackers we have to use. Right. It's like, Oh, oh God, it's like absolute torture. <laughs> I'm, I'm not laughing yet. I'm like remembering back thinking, but yeah, oh everybody my told God. me, like even my, my co-founder who's like really good at getting pregnant. <laughs> she's really good at getting pregnant. <laughs> she said to me, she was like, because I hadn't really been, I've been very casual about it before because I had been so sort of casual the first time. And, you know, first of all, people, I love it when people are like, I wasn't planning on getting pregnant. I didn't, I can't believe this happened. Like it just sort of happened. I'm like, well, either there's two sets of people. Either you're really, you're planning and you're like actually know exactly when you're going to ovulate and all this stuff, or you're just really lucky that you hit the right timing. Mm -hmm. Like we also don't explain this to women and like, like you have to go and like find other women that are like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like the statistics you have, there's, you know, there's a period where you're actually ovulating. So um, yeah, that's stressful because I travel all the time. <laughs> so it's actually funny. My husband, well, I think he, my husband's a producer and he was like on a film crew out in LA, um, a couple weeks ago. And he said that, um, one of the guys on the film crew, his wife, who's a doctor, like came to LA from New York because she was ovulating that week. <laughs> I, I used to that do that. A aggressive. Oh, you used to do yeah, that. I mean, like, not so much from New York to LA, but it would be like, I would time my travel around it. Yeah, right? yeah. It would be like, okay, so I'm supposed to be ovulating that week, so I won't go any, it was insane. I mean, it was really, yeah. and then with infertility treatment, I was doing it's the so shots. Yeah. And I tell the story that this is when you look back and you think, oh, what was wrong with me? You know, yeah. what, you become, I became so possessed yeah. with getting pregnant that so the clinic not the clinic I was went to the Columbia Hospital for Women in DC they opened at 7:30 in the morning and I would go there and when you're doing a fertility treatment you do at least back then there were pergonol shots and you like yeah. for a week long you you're monitored every single day you have to go in and have your blood tested to see how much pergonol is in your body yeah. because bad things can happen if there's too much you can die from it and so you really have mm. to be really careful on this right so anyway yeah, I'm at USA Today. There's a manage. There is a management meeting that's starting at 7:30. I actually pay the nurses to come in early to take <laughs> wow. my blood that day, wow. so that I could be out and be back, be at work by 7:30. Yeah, that's when you're like saying, really, yeah. really. And once again, I was fortunate that I had the financial. Right. So I had the finances to do that. Right. A little crazy that I was doing it, but I had the resources to do right. crazy. But you really do become crazy with it. And I think a lot yeah. of times with women who are going through having miscarriages and trying to get pregnant, you know, I hear some stories of women who are trying to get pregnant after having a miscarriage and they'll do some crazy things. That's just like you were saying, like flying across the country when they think yeah. they're ovulating and also not listening to when doctors say, you know, that pregnancy terminated because you have X, Y, Z in your DNA right. and you're probably better off not getting pregnant again. 
Oh, yeah. did that happen with you? By the way, I, no. did, I did just do the genetic. Yeah. Right. And they're become so obsessed with getting pregnant. It's like, well, it won't happen to me. And then it does happen to right. them. So I'm not telling anyone not to or to listen to this. No, but, that's... but I think we get into this mindset of right. we have to, we have to, we have to. And sometimes we need to take a step back and think. Right. Well, that's the other thing. Like Dr. Matera, my doctor was like, you know, you really need to just chill out a little bit. And so we did this testing, but then... She gave me the green light. But um, the other thing is, like, I got a test at NYU that she administered, which is called a, like, an IV hysterogram or something, where they literally pump dye, like, into your cervix, and so you can see your fallopian tubes. It's, like, crazy. Like, you're looking at the screen, and, like, everything's lit up, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, and she was like, well, you only have one. Your other fallopian tube is blocked. So I was like, what? I've been running this race three leg, one legged the whole time. <laughs> and for the overachiever you are, I'm I sure that like, wasn't what? like working for you, right? <laughs> so she was like, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I feel a little less insane now. So I went and told a woman I'm very close with who's pregnant. And I was like, yeah, I only have one fallopian tube. And my friend was like, well, me too, but I'm pregnant. So what does that mean? And I was like, Oh God, that puts even more pressure on the situation. <laughs> so now I'm like, just, I'm super proud of myself that I was able to do it basically one, one legged, but, um, but definitely, I mean, it made me like a little sad for a little while, but then, I mean, I'm just obviously I'm very like in tag. Like if you, if people tell me I can't do something, I really want to do it. But, um, it's interesting. Then I did this, like I did like some panel testing, um, and she called me. Uh, this week, and it was just really interesting to hear the different gene sort of makeup and mutations. And so, like, you know, again, I'm I'm in a good place, but I do have like the MTHFR slave mutation, which is 40% of Caucasians do. And as a result, she put me on more medication this week. Um, and these are the kinds of things that like you can wait years to actually figure out, but you know, if you get a great doctor, then you can you can really um, ramp on it. And then, you know, obviously the acupuncture has been great too, because I I think like I've had a lot of help getting pregnant this fourth time around. And, but the nice thing about my acupuncturist, Amy is like, you know, I have this coach and she's helped me with my diet and also, but like, you know, it's just nice also, like I speak to a lot of women who say that acupuncture has really helped them on that front as well. So I'm giving like major endorsements, like getting a team together. Before we continue the conversation with Catherine, let me give a shout out to the business platinum card from American Express. As an entrepreneur, the card I carry is the business platinum card from American Express. That's because business can be done from anywhere in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward, With Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card. Backed by the service and security of American Express. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Everybody loves honey-glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! 
Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner or go to podcastone.com slash my survey. It only takes a few minutes and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash my survey or click on the survey banner on podcastone.com. This is Mentoring Moments with Denise Rostari. And so what if you don't have the financial resources yeah. to do what what you can do? Right. What, what can we help our listeners with to say when you're going through these times, because we're all going through these right. times, whether it's we have a child and work, yeah. we have problems at work, we're trying to have a child, even with the pressures on the other side, we don't want to have a child, but everyone's telling us we should have a child. Right. Okay, that's, that's a whole nother conversation about that should have, should have, yeah. you, know, you should. But sticking with these two and really focusing on the miscarriages and that we're not talking about it and that we need to talk about it. What are some messages we can give to our listeners and saying, if you're going through this, if you know someone that's going through this, right? how can we help them? Well, first of all, like, if you know someone is going through this or you suspect even, you know, ask them how they're doing. Like oftentimes they, I think people want to be asked. They sort of want to share. And, you know, if you have stories, obviously you can share as well. So that helps. I mean, just talking really relieves a burden. I think it's important to also think about the husbands or the partners or, you know, if you're in a same sex um, relationship, obviously, you know, it's, it's across the board. They often feel like, even if you think they're not being attentive, they don't really know how to be attentive. And so that can create a lot of pressure and stress in the relationship because, I mean, there's some guilt there as well that they're putting you through this. Um, so really like trying to have a conversation there before it's too late and before things really well up is super key. And I think noticing what's going on with you, you know, when I was going through all the infertility treatment and you're doing all these major drugs, these major mm -hmm. hormones are entering your body, right? Then we moved as well. And people would say, oh my God, you know, moving is such a stressful thing on a relationship. Mm -hmm. And then these hormones, I mean, aren't you like a little crazy from all these hormones? And I would be like, no, everything's fine. Then I'm divorced four years later. Yeah. I, I think everything <laughs> wasn't so fine. Okay. Yeah. I know. I um, but, <laughs> but I think it's, you know, that's, it's that whole thing. We don't realize the impact that it has on our right. lives and being able to recognize that. And I was so putting my head in the sand and saying, no, these drugs don't impact me, not me. I mean, I'm too busy. I'm working. I have this big job, blah, blah, blah. My relationship's fine. That move and that renovation on that home, that's yeah. not impacting me. And these things do impact us and our partners. Yeah. So on Wednesday, I just like freaked out at my co-founder about something that really, I mean, I mean, yeah, it was annoying, but, but, and she was putting pressure on me, but my response was not warranted. And, and I just afterwards, and there were other people on the phone call and, you know, one of the women who knew what was going on, I was just like, wow, you know, I really got to be careful right now because I think I'm just triggering super easy. So, you know, having it's a real a, right. awareness around that. And yeah, I think in like May, April, May, I was pretty depressed. Like, and I also gained a lot of weight. Like I, I we talk about what you can do. Like, like I've been really trying to carve out doing yoga, even at home, like stuff like that. Um, 
there's things, I mean, these are things that are, are not expensive. If you, if you find ways, you don't have to go to some fancy class. I have this meditation app called Headspace that I use. Try to just like breathe. Like I think the stress is just can be really bad. And so you have to, I haven't even counted out the dates. I'm really trying not to project at all. I'm just really trying to focus on the now and just get through every single day. Cause that's the really hard part about the first trimester is you're just, you're in constant pins and needles because that's when things really can go south. And so I'm not like stressing about, you know, the heartbeat test or anything because I'm just I'm treating this as like a medical situation right now that it is what it is. And, and, you know, as my doctor has told me and also my acupuncture, like I have to, and other people in my life and I, I have, because I've been talking about it more, I have all these women who've, you know, had babies much later in life than I have. Like, look at my co-founder, she's 40, she's having her fourth child. So everybody's telling me to just chill out. Like I was trying to be in this race. I had this race in my head that like I had to produce a baby like every three years so that like, you know, they'd be in school together and all this <laughs> stuff. And my husband said to me, he's like, I don't, I don't care about that race. I don't want to be in that race. And then my doctor was like, let me tell you, like I grew up with three kids back to like sisters back to back, like space is good thing, you know? Like, so it's, it's the pressure you put on yourself. It's the pressures we put on ourselves, right? Yeah. In saying, this is what I picture my life to be. And life's never that way. I mean, yeah. I'm a lot older than you are. I'm in my 60s. Oh, you look great. But, then, but, <laughs> but I can say that from experience that it's never, hardly no, ever. it's ridiculous. What we plan it out to be. And that's a good thing sometimes. And sometimes it's very hurtful and it's, it's very hard. But I think when we try to control our lives... You, know, you want to set yourself up for success right. as best as you can. Yeah. So it's great that you can have an acupuncturist, but if you can't, I think doing yoga at home is great. Doing yeah. the, the meditation app is great and being able to talk about it right. because that's where I found my biggest comfort when right. I was going through, and I had seven years of going through infertility, was once I talked about it and was able to talk about it, not just within my group of other women who right. were going through infertility, but to be able to talk about it, then it just opened everything up. And I, it, it wasn't so, I didn't feel like I was taking on that world by myself. Yeah, that's the problem. It's like you're in this world by yourself and you feel like such a failure because everybody else is like posting their baby bump on Instagram. Right. And for some reason, Instagram is like totally targeting me with baby bumps right now, which is like <laughs> so annoying. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just, you feel, uh, you feel like you're so abnormal, but in reality, you're way more normal than, than what you're seeing out there publicly. And I think we need to really, we need to do a better job of, I don't want to pressure people to talk about things they're not comfortable with, but I'm also sick of people. I don't want people to feel sorry for me either. This is not something to feel sorry for me about because like, first of all, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, and, and I'm very lucky in, in many ways, but, um, I know I can have a child. It's just, it's just challenging right now, but, but also don't feel sorry for me if I'm in a situation that, you know, every day I learn more and more that other women are in that situation. I mean, can you imagine if we had something else like this in the world where something that affected men? Right. Oh, for sure. That they secretly had to keep inside, but yet so many of them are affected by it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, it is a medical thing. And that, that was yeah. hard for me to understand. And my therapist told me this years ago when I was like, you know, I can't talk about it and right. I can't tell people at work. And she said, but if you had cancer you'd be able to talk about it, right? You'd be able to say, you know, I need to go to the doctors because I have breast cancer and I have right. to have treatments. And everybody would understand. But 
I thought there was something wrong with me. Right. That I had, this was my problem yeah. and it wasn't a medical problem. It was my problem. Yeah. It's so psychological. Right. And so, but yet if I had cancer, I wouldn't think there, it was my problem. I would think it's a medical issue and that I needed the help. Right. So it's, it's this, I think it's because we aren't talking about it. And that's why I'm so glad when we were on the phone and you were telling me about having the miscarriage that I said, we, you were saying you wanted to talk about it. I was like, okay, let's talk about it on the podcast because I think we need to get these conversations going. And that in itself is a huge mentoring moment for everyone to say, yeah. let's start talking about it. There's a young woman who I know, Janie in Ohio, and she's a, she was a senior partner of a law firm when she was 32. She became senior partner of a law firm. Wow. And she always thought she couldn't have kids because of her job, right? right? Long story she decides to have kids, but she doesn't tell her law firm that she's pregnant and she thinks it's going to hurt her job. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that it was the best revenue producing year for her <laughs> in her history, because as she said, once she was able to tell her clients that she was pregnant, a whole new conversation entered. Right. They would talk about their kids. They would talk yeah, about their yeah, wife, the yeah. wife, you know, the woman, if it was the woman, she would talk about yeah. her pregnancy. They would talk about the miscarriage, you know, they would talk about miscarriages. And there was this one, there was a personal relationship that right. was developing versus the whole business. So I think sometimes we think things yeah. And they're not true. They're in our own heads because it's that little girl on our shoulder who is saying, don't talk about that. Well, we were, yeah, you. I mean, you were sort of taught not to talk about it at work, but it is interesting. I mean, I do feel like it's totally elevated my conversations with people at work and I can I connect with executives much faster on the kids stuff. And um, no, it's, it's really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing that's really interesting too, is like, I have a lot of girlfriends who um, you know, we're in our mid thirties now and they've been working in tech for years and big conversation around egg freezing. Yes. And, uh, and interesting, like I, I know someone who, I know women who are freezing their eggs now so that they don't feel like they have to stay in relationships that they don't know if they want to be in. And that's very interesting. They don't want to feel like the men that they're with have leverage on them because of their biological clocks. I think that's fascinating. And um, I have a friend out in California who works for a big VC and, you know, she's looking into a lot of these, you know, sort of like there's, there's work that's definitely happening on the, on the fertility side in the, in, you know, in the, in the, um, in the startup space, that's going to be interesting. And I think we're going to see more and more of it because, you know, this generation is, um, my generation is, you know, we're getting to the point now where it's either, you know, you have your babies, you egg freeze, you adopt, you do IVF. And there's also, you know, people write a lot of, I've seen a lot of writing about uh, miscarriages. You see more and more about that, especially during the election on Medium and places like that. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen when we all go through menopause. <laughs> <laughs> it's not pretty. I've been there. It's, I tell the story about so, my husband with coming to finish your thought and I'll tell and you. You have like your head in the fridge. I, 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 I actually sat mom. in like, the fridge. I sat. I So my freezer <laughs> was a pullout bottom. And so I was dating Lewis at the time. Okay. And I had this great dress and it was October. And it was supposed to be cool, but it wasn't. It was like 75 degrees. And But I was determined to wear this dress because I was like, it was like this really great dress yeah. and I have these great shoes and I am just soaking. I mean, I'm like dripping wet oh. and I pull up in the freezer door. I actually sit in the freezer, <laughs> but what I'm not realizing is as I'm sitting in the freezer, I'm looking out the window in my kitchen and that's where Lewis is parking. Lewis had parked his car and he's walking <laughs> in. <laughs> so he's watching me. 
<laughs> sitting in the freezer. <laughs> to wow. which he comes, he comes in and I'm like, I've got to go upstairs and dry off. And he's like, this is our third date. Oh my he's God. like, whatever you need to do, go do it. And the fact that he was still downstairs oh, wow. was he's like, I thought, okay, this guy's a keeper. <laughs> he's like, he didn't like run out. That's so funny. Yeah. I remember my mother like putting her head in the fridge. And, right. But that was the universal story when I was in high school about our poor mothers. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's funny. My mother has the same doctor that I have, the same, this Dr. Matera, who really helped her get through that. So get that they're all, yeah. and they're all real. And as I said, whether you want to have children, you don't want to have children, we're all going through struggles in all different ways, yeah. whether it's fertility or not fertility, that we need to talk about it. And so that's why I'm so, I'm so happy that you are saying, let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah. the reality, not just on the surface of, oh yeah, I had a miscarriage, but just the things we were talking about today. So people understand that this is what happens. Yeah. The medical terms, all of those things. So whether it's you or someone, you know, yeah. information is power and it just helps us all be better, better people. I mean, a hundred percent it's, and it's comforting, frankly. So now we're going to get into, because I want to hear this, we're going to do, I'm done with that. So we're talking about things we're done with. There's a lot that you're done with. Obviously we just talked about some of those, but in addition to children and the other things that we're done with, and I'll start. So it gives you time to think I'm done with defining success based on what I think success is. And some of that can be where you live. That's my other thing I'm looking at now. Do we define success by where we live? Yeah. Would I define success differently if I lived in West Virginia or if I lived in Beaver Creek, Colorado, would success look different to me? Yeah, you ski or, a lot, yeah. Right, or if, I, <laughs> right, or if I were fishing with, you know, catching a big fish, is that right. what my success is? And I think back to when I was at USA Today and we would take our clients golfing. So we were at Pinehurst number two golf mm. course, which is like one of the premier golf courses in the country. And I am not a good golfer. I mean, that, that's kind of like giving myself more credit. I'm just an awful golfer. <laughs> but my clients like me because I was taking them to Pinehurst, yeah. right? So we have a caddy and we're going around and I'm just like ready to shoot myself. And <laughs> it's like, I, I, it really was torture. But my caddy, the caddy says this to me. He says, quit beating yourself up because even though you're not successful with this, you're doing something else that you're really great at that got you here. Okay? Yeah. So he was like, enjoy the scenery, hit the, hit the ball a couple of times, pick it up and just move on and don't get, you know, don't like try right. to make that great drive or try to make that great putt. Just enjoy it because you're doing something else really great that got you here. Yeah. And so that was, that was one of those lessons to say about success, but at a deeper level that to think about is how do we define success? You know, yeah. is it, based on where we live? Is it based on who we are? Is it based on what our parents thought success was? So I'm done with thinking that success is what it means to me for right. everyone else. And yeah. I talk about this a lot. And we were talking about earlier with my daughter, what does success look like to her? She's yeah. really happy. We saw you know, living on a farm, she's not living on a farm, but if she were living on a farm with pigs and goats yeah. and cats and dogs, she'd be really, really happy to her. That would be success. Right. To me, that would be so far from success. Yeah, no, it's totally. So I'm, t- I'm tired. I'm done with judging other people and saying they are successful or not based on what is important to me. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're so right. And and also we don't realize, you know, the things that we didn't think were successful, like it's been very hard for people to get there. So they've come over all these, these triumphs. So what are you just, done with? What am I done with? Let's say I'm done with people not being honest enough about 
how they've gotten help in this world to get where they are. And so, um, I mean, I grew up uh, very privileged. I didn't. Your mother and dad, they're doctors? Are they doctors? No. Did no. I make that up? <laughs> I made that up. Um, my grandfather was a surgeon, okay. but uh, actually, my father is the child of Holocaust survivors. But he got to grow up on the Harvard campus because his father became a professor of architecture at Harvard. So he was quite lucky because he, um, you know, the people that he knew from Europe came over and were, were great architects. And so they ended up working at Harvard. So he was hired to do that. But, you know, he literally hid in the, they both, my grandparents lived, hid in the Warsaw ghetto and saw most of their family get, members get killed. My mother's from England, also an immigrant, but, um, you know, came because her father was a surgeon and he was hired to be the chief of surgery at um, Rochester um, uh, Memorial, Sloan Memorial Hospital, a strong memorial. So both very different sort of ways of coming up in America, but, but you know, they, they weren't, they didn't have money, but they had um, networks and, and people that could help them. And so I think that's, that's one thing to really pay attention to. I mean, my father used to always say things to me like, well, I never had any money when I was growing up. <laughs> my mother would turn around and say, but you, you grew up on the Harvard campus. And so you have to value that and appreciate that. And it's true. And he worked very hard and, um, and gave us a, a great life. But I went to school with a lot of people that sort of felt like they were where they were because they worked hard. But in reality, yes, we worked hard at school because we were told to work hard and we did it we got a huge amount of help along the way. And so when I look at, at other people and, and how they've gotten to where they are, and I'm just like, it's, it's amazing to me. And, and I continue to have a lot of help. Like it, it I mean, I've written about my, my nanny, for example, like she's the only, she's the reason I'm sitting here with you right now. I mean, obviously I don't have a stay at home husband, so he could do that, but you know, he, he has to work. And so, but I literally can afford to go to work every day and to be able to work a lot. You know, I work hard because someone else can help. I can pay sure, someone right. to let me work hard. And, you know, we don't really talk about those things enough. And, and so, I don't know. It's a, you know, it's a struggle for us who can, we can afford to have the nannies. Right. And, I mean, I had a nanny, but I, I tell you, I refinanced my house. Right. So I could pay for the nanny because I had to work because I was a single parent. Yeah. So you, t I mean, it was like I yes. that was a, I had to do that to be able to pay because I couldn't work if I right. had to you know pick up my daughter and take her to school every day and which I would do that but but picking her up and making sure somebody was there with her after school, so I needed a nanny. So I refinanced my house. The things you're never supposed to do as an entrepreneur. I did it all. You know, I've talked about right. this. I've you know the my retirement plan gone, <laughs> refinanced the house. You know, right. I did all the things you're never supposed to do. But if you don't even have those resources, I agree with you that so often I think we're talking about the problems we're having, right? but not the problems a lot of the people in the world are having. Right. Well, which, I mean, but this is a political thing for me too. I mean, I just think like Ivanka Trump, for example, I mean, I went to the same grade school as her, like, you know, don't even, I'm not, even <laughs> but uh, try, like talk about how much it costs for you to be able to run around the world. Like how many people do you have at home that are supporting you and who are these women and where did they come from and like how much are you paying them? And if we're going to talk about working women, we have to talk about the real costs associated with working women. When we started Power to Fly, my nanny was making more money than me. Um, and I said to my husband, like, wow, this is crazy. 
I mean, she's totally, she's totally worth it. And, you know, obviously she's paid on salary and, and everything. And, um, and my husband's like, this is an investment in yourself. Like it, what you're paying her today means that you can go out and, you know, make more for ultimately for the company, for investors, you'll have a higher salary. So at the same time, I then started to look at the tax law around it. And I started to think, isn't it ridiculous that I'm getting a salary and then I'm getting taxed on that salary and I'm turning around with the post-tax income and I'm paying my nanny with it. And then I'm getting taxed on the payments that I make for her and she's getting taxed as well. So I'm ending up with an incredibly small amount of money at the end of the day. And by the way, we never talk about it coming out of the man's salary. It always has to come out of the woman's salary. So that's how, that's our reference point. You never hear a woman say like, well, you know, my husband was making, like they would say, well, I was making this amount of money and it was, it cost too much for me to stay, to stay at work because childcare right. was so expensive. So we need to change that. We need to flip that dialogue, but we have a tax law that's fundamentally punishes women for, for going to work. Why is it? So I actually had this idea that why don't I not even pay myself? I was losing so much money going to work and just um, put my nanny on the payroll instead. So I wasn't going to take any money. She was going to, she was going to go on the payroll. And my accountant said, well, yeah, you can do it. It's not illegal, but you know, you're going to get audited and it's going to be a huge problem. You know, it could be a problem. So I just said, all right, screw it. I'll just end up losing a huge amount of money every single year. And I did the same thing. I didn't take a salary, but I would, so I refinanced my house, everything I brought into the company. I had the same exact situation you had, Catherine, is that I was, everything was being tapped. I mean, she wasn't an employee, but the money that was coming into the company. So I would take her salary as my salary so that I could pay her. So you could be legal in the process in the, where the money flows. It was insane. I was even too complicated to explain, but the same thing. It was insane. My nanny was making more money than I was because I was taking no salary. Right. And my husband said the same thing, that it's an investment in us. And I think, I know that you have to run, so I want to tell everyone where we can find you. Well, go to Power to Fly, Kay Zaleski on Twitter. But I run a I run a Facebook group called Ladies Promoting Ladies in Digital and Tech. On Power to Fly, you just email, you know, hi at powertofly.com if you really want to talk to me too. So, And you join women up with a lot of great companies. I want to make sure everyone yeah, knows so that. Yeah, so we, um, you know, our goal is to really connect women with with the executives who want to who want to make these changes, who understand what it's like to be a woman, who are creating policies, uh, you know, around parental leave, around equal pay, everything. So we had this great event with Dow Jones. I interviewed their director of engineering, a woman who they hired when she was nine months pregnant, and she's pregnant again at five months. This woman runs a team of thirty-five people around the country, and they hired her at nine months pregnant. They did not question for a second value of based on, I mean, they just cared about her brain. They were able to do that. I mean, that is an example of, of more companies that we need to be on there. And it was a great investment for them, obviously. Like she's amazing. You know, we're working with companies like that. I mean, we, you know, we're, um, they really get it and, and major corporations. And I'll have all this info on our show notes. Thank you. Thank you for speaking out. We need yeah. more people like you speaking out because when you're speaking out and I think I speak out a lot, it even makes me think of stories that I want to share yeah. that I haven't shared that can impact people. And this is the only way we're going to help each other. So yeah. thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Blowing you a kiss across the table. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Okay, if this podcast isn't a call to action for every one of us to speak out, to find other women to talk to about what's really going on, and if you're a guy who's listening, 
find other women, other men, just find others because that's where we find our strength and understand that we aren't in this alone, that others have gone through it and we can learn and help each other. And it will relieve the burden that we're all carrying around that sometimes it's just hard for us to articulate it, but we need to tell those stories. And one of the things that we talked about today that I continue to struggle with is entering the races I don't want to be in. And then I struggle to be successful in that race, to not be a failure. And by listening to Catherine's stories, I am reminded to only enter the races that are meaningful to me. It's not easy, but I know I can do it. We can all do it. So thanks for joining us today. And to get Mentoring Moments the moment it's live, which is every Wednesday, just download new episodes on the Podcast One app or subscribe at Apple Podcasts or podcastone.com. And make sure to rate, review, and share. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com and talk to me. I'm always, always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, Forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And we're the hosts of The Limit Does Not Exist, a podcast for human Venn diagrams. That's right. We talk to people with intersecting interests in the arts, STEM, entrepreneurship, and so much more. The easiest way to explain science to non-scientists is to use art. I worry that we lose a lot of creative engineers because our engineering curriculum is not creative. Education should be about empowering people to become better thinkers, good problem solvers, creative inventors, and ethical caring citizens. Download new episodes of The Limit Does Not Exist every Monday on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Napa know-how. It's Love Your Car Month at Napa. And to show your car the love, get a Napa bucket for $2.99 and save 20% on almost everything you can fit inside, like car wash, car wax, and tire shine. So save some cash and look good doing it by getting 20% off with the Napa bucket. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, exclusions apply. Minimum three items may not be combined with other offers. Offer ends 4 19 I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following following the rule of law, is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States Uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.